the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. A split against the Dodgers? I'll take it, but it might not be as good as you might think. Steve Zinsmeister on the Ain't No Fang podcast. No Cody Fincher, actually, probably for a while, for the best of reasons. He is learning how to be a father as his two beautiful twin girls arrived last week. So we wish all the best, Cody Fincher. But joining me today is Alex Weiner, covers the Arizona Diamondbacks for ArizonaSports.com and is hanging out with me on the Ain't No Fang podcast. Hey, Alex. How's it going? Happy to be here. Uh, It's good. Things are good. I don't want to sugarcoat it, though. You split a series against the Dodgers, which I think we all would have taken if you had told me a week ago. But, all things considered, this series did not go particularly well. Your two wins come, both of them are 2-1 to wins in very tight games. The other two were blowouts, 8-2, 10-1. We can all acknowledge that the Dodgers are the better team, and a split is fine to start the season. I'm going with fine. But it doesn't feel like the Diamondbacks are clicking at all right now. No, uh, kind of a tough first four games in a lot of different reasons. I think, you know, Sunday's game sort of salvaged what the series could have possibly been as far as like from a disaster standpoint. But ultimately, they showed a lot in that last game of how they can grind out wins when the offense isn't clicking. But man, they put themselves into really difficult positions, both pitching wise and offensively with walks and lack thereof on the other side of it just not sharp it wasn't a sharp first series but to walk out of dodger stadium with a split a place that they have lost every series they've played in for the last three four years um you know you kind of take it but there's a lot to clean up here in the next couple of weeks yeah just looking at the starting rotation i mean obviously we're four games into the season everything that we say for the next 20 30 minutes is with a grain of salt because it's a very small sample size but You have Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly at the top of your rotation that we all kind of consider the solidified starters. Davies, Bumgarner, while they might have reputations, Davies been around for a while. Bumgarner obviously has his historic past with the San Francisco Giants that seems like an eons ago at this point. (laughs) Um, It was a rough outing for Gallon. Merrill Kelly was good, but only pitched three and two thirds, so doesn't get you out of the fourth, fifth inning. And really, the prize pitcher of the series was Zach Davies. If you're looking at the starting rotation, Dre Jameson came out of the bullpen. Uh, I think we've talked ad nauseum uh, on our stations about the fifth starter role. It ends up going to Ryan Nelson. We'll see him tomorrow. But Dre Jameson comes out of the bullpen, pitches very, very well in four innings. And then we get the news that Madison Bumgarner is being sent back to Arizona for arm fatigue. Never a good sign after your first outing of the season. Is there a chance that Dre Jameson might be needed sooner than we thought? It's possible. I mean, Tori Lavello told reporters uh, after Madison Bumgarner had been sent back to Arizona that he said he's not expected to miss a start. Uh, not entirely sure So when he was feeling it. it. It was apparent that it was during this game because he was talking to a trainer that was caught on the TV cameras. So something's going on. I'm, I'm not entirely sure exactly what the extent of it is. Lavello said on kind of a... like emergency scale it wasn't too too high up the list so it's possible he just goes back out he's he's scheduled to pitch again on friday at home against the los angeles dodgers again but it's possible he doesn't miss a single start but if he does i mean dre jameson really gave the dimebacks exactly what they needed out of that role early i mean with merrill kelly coming back after you know his spring was sort of inconsistent he left for the world baseball classic he came back the ramp up process wasn't quite as routine as it has been in past seasons and 
So he kind of came out of the game earlier than he probably would have liked to, probably that they would have liked to, but just to continue that progression. And Jamison gave them exactly what they needed as far as saving the rest of the bullpen. And the nice thing about having Jamison there, as opposed to just bringing in another, having like Ryan Hendricks or be somebody, another relief pitcher there, is that if you do need somebody to miss just even a start, even if there's no injured list stint, you can put him in that role for one game and you'll be fine. You wouldn't miss a beat. Maybe it'd be even better. So uh, that's going to be a, sort of a huge thing to look at is just how quickly these pitchers can get ramped up. And with Bumgarner in specifics, I mean, now there is a legit question whether or not he can start his next game. He seems to think he can, but it's never a great sign when you have to be sent home. Yeah, I mean, heck, my arm would hurt too if I threw that many pitches <laughs> in a game. But at the same time, when you're a starting pitcher for a, you know your career, uh, arm fatigue doesn't exactly sound inspiring. On the flip side, the Dodgers, their four starters, very good rotation mm-hmm. still, even with some pieces, key pieces that are missing, Walker Bueller among them. Uh, they were fantastic. Dustin May was really, really good. Clayton Kershaw, Noah Syndergaard. Uh, Julio Urias, all very, very good in this series. Nine, none of them have a whip over 0.7. That's crazy in a series like this. And they pitched good amount of innings, six innings for three of the guys, and then Dustin May had seven innings pitched. So, uh, listen, to get out of there with two wins is pretty remarkable when your ace has a bad outing, Madison Bumgarner implodes, um, which I'm not going to say I didn't expect, but I was hopeful he would be better. And Merrill Kelly getting pulled in the fourth inning or whatever, or fifth inning, whatever it was. It was the fourth, yeah. Uh, it's If you had told me all those things were going to happen, I probably would have said they get out of there with zero wins. And so to get two is pretty good. Now, here's a problem that I encountered. Uh, the Diamondbacks, if I was looking at their hitters, some of their young left-handed hitters. I'm going to leave Corbin Carroll out of this because I think he was actually off to a decent start. Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy, and I'm going to throw Josh Rojas in there. Mm-hmm. I think he let off in game two, didn't he? He let off in the last game, too. Last game. Okay, yeah. He lost twice. Of the three of those guys, left-handed hitters, they are hitting one for 26 to start the season. Not very good. This team has one walk. The whole team, one walk in four games. I don't know how many at-bats that is, but it's probably north of 50 or 60. That's horrible. I mean, they're just not getting on base at all. I'd say the only player that even looked remotely comfortable at the plate was Christian Walker in the entire series. So, again, small sample size, plenty of time left in the season, but that's not exactly the way I hope to start it. Walker's the only, I think he's the only hitter with at least one hit in all four of their games so far. He's got six. So, that's a good sign. But to your point, I mean, okay, in in their last game against the Dodgers, the 2-1 to victory, they were able to win on the base paths by making stuff happen. Corbin Carroll gets on, stolen base, stolen base, he gets to score. The final inning, they actually get a couple of guys on and sets up Jake McCarthy after a stolen base, and first baseman Freddie Freeman plays back to drop that drag bunt and get on and drive in the run. That's how they can grind out these wins, but you have to get on base first to yeah, do that. It doesn't work if it doesn't you don't work get on. if you're not on, and the one walk is the most concerning thing to me because a lot of their outs came on chase. There was a lot of chase as far as their strikeouts throughout the series, and they didn't, like... It wasn't a crazy amount of strikeouts. The Clayton Kershaw start, they struck out a ton. But the rest of the series, it wasn't a crazy amount of strikeouts. But there wasn't a lot of hard contact either. And a big part of the reason why last year they were able to grind out some of these wins was because they were very good at getting on base without getting hits. They walked a lot as a team and had a, you know, a lineup that had a lot of guys who could work walks. And because of that, they got better pitches. And that's what they're going to have to do this season. That wasn't the case in the first series. 
it was a lot of chase, a lot of weak contact. And because they weren't getting on base and kind of creating that chaos, there were two games where their offense just kind of died in that first game and in that third game, the two blowout losses. So that's going to be huge for them going forward is to continue working at bats and getting better pitches to hit. And that's when I think you'll see guys like Jake McCarthy and Josh Rojas really start to pick up steam because they're both very good as far as their plate discipline and getting on base. And they're both fast. It's just we didn't see that first series. Yeah, and we can all acknowledge that the speed, the base running, um, the chaos that you talk about, that's their advantage. That's what they have that a lot of teams just don't have that. Or they have such good hitters mm-hmm. that they're not good at running. They're not. They're slower dudes. They're bigger dudes, whatever the case may be. The Diamondbacks, I think the problem with the chaos, magic, let's call it magic, because I, I do think it's a strength. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the problem with it, though, and you talk about you got to get on base, you also have to hit the ball over the wall every now and then. And they only have, what is it, the one, two home runs. They have Kyle Lewis's magical home run uh, that he hit, and then you've got Christian Walker as a home run. That's it. Um, so I worried about this before the season even started. At one point, we had Tori Lovello on the station, and I asked him, I was like, are you, are you concerned? Because Christian Walker had 36 home runs, I think it was, last season. The next highest was Dalton Varsho, who had 27, but he's gone now. Yeah. The next highest behind that was 14. Yeah. That's not good. I it's mean, fair. you don't have to hit the ball over the wall a whole bunch to be a good team. That's not my point here. It's just that this team, like you said, is going to have to be on base consistently to cause that chaos on the base pads in order to score runs. You're going to win those two to one ball games, but I don't think the pitching staff is good enough to get you into a two to one ball game all that often against a team like the Dodgers maybe not I mean that's one of the big questions of the season is can how can the rotation hold up to the power point I I I do think they did a couple of things to maybe try to bring in some more guys with higher upside Lourdes Gurriel has been a 20 home run hitter before last year he dealt with the handmade injury only hit five there's a you know if he can get better pitches and and the ball pretty hard. I mean, he, he did a couple of times during the series. It wasn't a great series for him, but he had a couple of moments that were strong. He's a guy who could potentially add that pop. He's so hit is Kyle 20 Lewis. home runs twice. Right. He did it in 2021. He had 21. And in 2019, he had 20. Right. So his last two full seasons before last year when he dealt with the injury. And then Kyle Lewis has that upside. Kyle Lewis is a guy who's going to strike out a lot just throughout his entire career. He's already he's got six of those. Not a great start in that category. But he's also a guy who historically has walked a fair amount, a decent walk rate, and has pretty much hit for power everywhere he's gone except for the last couple of seasons in the bigs while dealing with injuries. So they, they added some guys with some upside. Moreno has power upside. But it's not guys who have been consistent at that over the last couple of years. And so that's certainly you know, a question to have about this team and the makeup of this team as far as the power and guys who could just, we're not getting it done. We need one guy who could just go and make something happen on one swing of the bat. And then when you go back to the pitching side about the starting pitching, I think the top of the rotation will be fine. I think Gallon and Kelly, there was a lot to like in their first two starts with Gallon. I mean, you remember some of the hits that he gave up to Will Smith. I mean, that last one that eventually led to him getting knocked out of the game, that ball was a foot outside that Smith just kind of flicked his hands to. True. So I don't think Gallon was, you know, it was a disaster start by any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't as sharp. He put a couple guys on base that probably he'd like to have back. But I think the top of the rotations, pro- well, you know, there's nothing to worry about there yet. It's just can the bottom half of the rotation sort of keep up with what this team needs from them, especially given 
sort of the offensive questions we have early and how the offense has looked early. And Ryan Nelson will play a big role in that, too. Absolutely. Once we see him in action. Uh, you know, I think it's good for him that he ended up getting that fifth spot in the rotation. My personal preference was Dre Jameson, but I do believe that by the end of this season, and probably much earlier, games. Yeah, both of them will be in there. He'll start a handful point. of games. Brandon Fott will start games at this, at some point this year. I'm sure we'll see Tommy Henry at some There's going to be a handful of guys who are going to work their way in just yeah. naturally over the course of a long season. Um, to your point about power, I actually have a running lunch bet with uh, my co-host on the weekends, Mitch Vareldis, uh about Gabriel Moreno. Because mm-hmm. he said the same thing you did uh, about Moreno, that he's got pop, that he can potentially be that guy who could hit a bunch of home runs. Sure. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, just based on the numbers, the most home runs he's hit in a season, I mean, I'm trying to add up a couple, but it looks like he, the most he's hit in one location during a season is 12. I'm guessing that it's closer to like 16 in 2021, it looks like. I don't think he's a home run guy. I don't think he's he a lifts, doubles hitter. I don't he, think he, he lifts the, the ball, ball enough on a line. Very, very hard. Yeah. But this, you know, he might hit 300 slight, slight tweaks to that. He could potentially lift the ball, and that could be a potential power danger for them. But you're right. It may not come right away. Right. So, I mean, there is that. But I to go back to the whole, you know, the base path thing, and, and we saw a lot of what Corbin Carroll could do. He stole three bases in one game. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. I, I honestly None can't remember the last time. None with a throw. True. Will Smith didn't get a handle on the ball, which was interesting. But I think he probably would have gotten in. He at least would have stole second successfully I even if there was a throw he probably gets both maybe third too i think smith had to kind of rush his process yeah Syndergaard's not the greatest in the world at holding runners on base and so Carroll yeah got a good jump he kind of gave that up a little bit didn't he he's he's very uh he seems easy to figure out he looks twice i think he looks back once to second base looks it's been, back it's again been a career-wide thing that people yeah people steal bases on him Speaking of giving things away, I read, I think it was Eno Saris who tweeted something about the Diamondbacks tipping pitches. Did you see that whole thing? I did see that. Is that a concern for the Diamondbacks? I mean, I, I, I think it was, who was he talking about specifically? He was talking about Kevin Ginkle. Ginkle, that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at the pictures that he tweets from the broadcast, it's it's a pretty big difference between when he's arming, he's got like this wrist curl uh, for fastballs and, and his off-speed, there is a difference there. Is that something of concern? Because I'm sure Kevin Ginkle, e- even if he sees this or if he sees it on the video, I'm sure he's going to address that pretty quickly. Yeah, I feel like this is uh, something, if you notice it, you fix it. So I wouldn't be too, too concerned. It was a tough weekend for Kevin Ginkle overall, and if he was tipping his pitches, that sort of gives you a de- decent indication as to why it could have been. But this seems like, I mean, last year... They had that situation with Merrill Kelly possibly tipping pitches also against the Dodgers, I believe, if I recall correctly. And that was something that they recognized right away and fixed right away. So and if, if Bumgarner was doing it as well, I mean, just with his veteran savvy, I, I can't imagine this is going to be a huge problem for them. But that was a huge power surge by the Dodgers in that game. And so if they kind of figured out what was going on, then maybe that's a little bit of a keyhole as to why it was. I think a lot of people were surprised to see a name like Kyle Lewis at the top of the lineup on opening day in L.A. I realized that it's mostly because they were facing a left-handed starting pitcher. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this is overgeneralizing, but I think Kyle Lewis was brought in to fill that Jordan Luplo role, which Jordan Luplo didn't even fill very well, but he was meant to be a lefty crusher. Yeah, And Kyle Lewis kind of fits that bill a little bit as well. They had him hitting leadoff. At a time when I think most Diamondback fans are infatuated with Corbin Carroll. 
and would have loved to have seen him leading off righty, lefty, doesn't matter. Hmm. And so to see a guy like Kyle Lewis do it and go 0 for 4, I'm pretty sure, in the opening day. Um, and then you see Josh Rojas leading off, which, not a bad leadoff hitter. He's certainly been around longer than Corbin Carroll, but again, probably most fans would have liked Carroll in that spot. And and so we know Torrey Lovello does this, right? He tries to get overly creative with his lineups at times. Is that something that's going to evolve over time? Do you imagine that Corbin Carroll will be made to earn the leadoff spot in the uh, in the lineup? I don't think it would take long for him to earn the leadoff spot in the lineup. And with Kyle Lewis, it's interesting because maybe because he had such a good spring, because he was going up against the lefty and because he's a guy who has gotten on base a decent amount in the minors and the majors when healthy, that's like, okay, this guy can give us maybe some pop at the beginning of the order and let us get into some of our core guys. Didn't work out for them. And then with Rojas, I think just it's, it's another guy who can get on base and make stuff happen. But Corbin Carroll's like the ultimate can get on base and make stuff happen player on their team. So I feel like it's not going to be long before he's pretty much in Sharpie in that spot, unless they want to hit him second. But it seems like Cattell Marte is going to be the number two hole hitter, at least for the start of the season, depending on you know how close to last year versus 2021-2019 version we get out of him. But you're right. And they need something at the top of that order to just kind of get them going, because it feels like this is a team that can kind of snowball on you a little bit. One guy gets on, you have to worry about him now, you know, hit and run, stolen base, something along those lines, and then you can kind a of bunt keep, at the end of the a game. Bunt at the end of the game. They like can kind McCarthy of keep did. it rolling a little bit. Um just making sure. Yeah, so they've gotten they got one hit out of the leadoff spot over the weekend in four games. Um not great. Corbin Carroll <laughs> will be in there sooner rather than later as long as he plays up to his standard at least to start the season. Yeah. I think that that's probably a realistic expectation. And Tory has been the kind of manager that doesn't just give people things. Yeah, You don't just get to hit leadoff just because you're the fastest guy. You don't just get to hit leadoff because you're the top prospect in baseball. You know, on some level, you do have to earn it. Not that's like Corbin hasn't been hitting in a key spot. He was hitting fifth the other day yeah, in the absolutely. lineup. And that's that's pretty important. He's right behind the only guy who's hitting successfully right now is Christian Walker, and Corbin Carroll's hitting right behind him. Absolutely. And to your point, Rojas has been here for multiple years, and Torrey kind of knows what he's getting out of him, so that you kind of have to earn it. But... With Kyle Lewis is kind of interesting because he's so brand new. And so to put him at the very top of the lineup, I get it, it was like a lefty-righty matchup situation. But that, that one was definitely kind of like, huh, when he put him there on opening day. And then, huh, again, when he put him there in the third game. I wouldn't be shocked if a lot of D-backs fans strikeouts. didn't even know that guy was on the team. Kyle Lewis? Yeah. Uh, if you watch I mean, any uh, spring training baseball, I'm pretty sure uh, you yes, probably know he's on the team. You would. But my point, I guess, is that he hasn't been around you know, like most people who watched last, like if you watched the last game of the regular season last year and you don't watch spring training and you tuned in for opening day, you're like, okay, the new guy is hitting leadoff? Like, right. really? But he also had one of the more magical moments in the series where he hits a you know, walk-off home run. Not walk-off, uh, go-ahead home, go home run. Yeah. Um, which is great and everything. I try not to get too excited about it because last year on opening night, we had the magical home run from Seth Beer. And <laughs> the I best wrote, hitter in the lineup for the first 20 games. And then season. I wrote an article about how he deserved more opportunities. And then that just kind of blew up in my face. Um, but And hopefully he still brings something to the table, but he's not even on the roster at this point. Um, yeah, listen, overall, I think it's a, a, a fine series to start the year with when you're playing a team as good as the Dodgers and I do expect the Dodgers to take a small step back this season but what is a small step back when you're a 100 win team you're you're what a 95 win team okay like that's still pretty darn good 
Um, but even if the Dodgers take a small step back, there's going to be some games in the division that are winnable, I would think, for the Diamondbacks. I think the, I don't believe in the Giants all that much. The Padres are spending money like crazy, so maybe they garner a few extra wins. I don't believe in the Rockies at all, because the Rockies don't believe in pitching. Um, and for that reason, I think that there's some wins available for the Diamondbacks. It's a really strange division this year, it feels like, because... You're right. The top two teams, it feels like they're going opposite directions a little bit, but it's still the Dodgers, so you don't want to ever count them out with They'll anything. always be good, yeah. You know, they'll just have Vargas come into the lineup and walk through four to five times for yeah. some reason. Can and... we talk about that for a second? <laughs> so I, I like Miguel Vargas, right? I drafted him in my fantasy baseball draft. Uh, I think he's a good hitter. He's not an otherworldly hitter, but like you mentioned, he gets on base a ton. I don't have his exact numbers in front of me, but he walked like seven or eight times in a four-game series. Yeah. And I think he ended up being like two for five or something like that on the series. And so for him to come out of this looking like the most impressive player in the Dodgers lineup, despite the fact that he's doing it by walking, it's not the sexy way to play, but yeah. certainly works for him. Two for five, eight walks, one strikeout. So my goodness, heck of an eye. Seven sixty nine on base percentage through four games. But it also shows a little bit that downbacks pitchers let guys, some guys, some at bats go that they probably shouldn't have, and that put them in some precarious situations. But back to the vision, I love the Giants versus Diamondbacks matchup. Why foil? Because it's it's interesting. So the Diamondbacks hundred loss season a couple years ago. Last year a step in the right direction. The Giants won one hundred six games a couple of years ago. Last year a step in the wrong direction. And with the Diamondbacks. It was a lot of good feelings around the team this offseason with some of the additions that they made, the young guys coming up, and they were like a trendy team around the league to pick as the dark horse wildcard candidate. The Giants, it seemed like a disaster of an offseason. They got arson judged, but to no avail. <laughs> they signed or they agreed to terms with Correa that falls through. And so it felt like, oh my gosh, this team is going to fall off from even from the like near 500 record they had last season. But it wasn't a horrible offseason in a nutshell for them. They needed more pop in the middle of the lineup. They got Mitch Hanniger and Michael Conforto. Not stars. Isn't Hanniger already injured? <laughs> Fair <laughs> I enough. I saw that. <laughs> Fair enough. But he does give them some upside. Yeah. And Those are reclamation projects. Absolutely. And then their rotation needed more depth. They added Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling. Manaya didn't have a great season last year, but the peripherals were better than the results. And he kind of is who he is. He's been the same kind of guy for the past several seasons. So... It doesn't feel like when you look at the Giants roster, it's super exciting, but it's a team that you could definitely see being 500 or a little above 500, and that's what the Diamondbacks are, you know, climbing to get to 500 above 500 eventual contention. So how they match up this season, I think, is going to be super interesting, just as far as directionally, and can the Diamondbacks take that step and be like, okay, the Dodgers and the Padres are the top two teams in this division, but we're there, we're third, and this is, you know, a team that. You know, if you guys fall off a little bit, we're going to continue climbing. Um, but if the Giants, you know, for once again, are that team, then that makes you question a little bit. Especially if the Diamondbacks go into the trade deadline in fourth and like a decent fourth. I don't know. That then maybe that makes you rethink a little bit. It seems like a sustainable trajectory, especially with how many younger guys are still producing well in the minor leagues up until last season but i don't know it's something to keep an eye on versus giants versus diamondbacks this season and can the diamondbacks kind of put them in the rear view and take full you know take full control of that tier just below the top yeah i think the direction at the trade deadline i i still worry about the, the lack of power i know we talked about it earlier but i think that you get towards the trade deadline if you're in 
a spot to contend, I think you do two things. One is you go and you search for a, a power bat of some sort in the trade market. I don't know what you have to trade. I've talked a lot about the surplus of young starting pitching, but you want to find out what those guys are before you give up on them, a la Max Scherzer. Uh, or for Trevor Bauer or the, any uh, of them. <laughs> yeah, that's what you have the season before the trade deadline for. Right. Um, and then on the other hand, uh, what you should be doing or should consider doing is calling up Jordan Lawler. Uh, I think that there's kind of a hole at shortstop right now. I don't mind Nick Ahmed. He's the longest tenured Diamondback of all time. Uh, if that counts for anything at this point, <laughs> I think that he's... Perdomo looked good. Perdomo was series. fine. He's got the only walk on the entire team. That's true. <laughs> which Couple is a very Perdomo thing. On the su- in the Sunday win. Yeah. I, I just don't think that his his bat is major league ready. And I, I honestly, I mean, he's probably a little bit beyond age-wise, uh, beyond prospect, quote-unquote. He's been up, you know, he played most of last season. He did. Um, but his bat just wasn't there. Over time, we're going to find out whether or not he makes adjustments that are necessary. But I, I think Jordan Lawler's the future at shortstop. I don't. I don't think that's within... There's no doubt. Any doubt. I was at the game, uh, the exhibition game the other night, and I was sitting behind home plate, (laughs) sitting there with my parents. And, uh, you know, they they love baseball, but they don't intimately know the minor leagues or whatever. And I said, oh, it's Jordan Jordan Lawler. He's a really good prospect. My dad's like, really? You know, what's interesting about him? I was like, oh, I interviewed him in the fall league. He's a great player. Uh, He's got a lot of power. (laughs) Boom. Hits a home run. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, I want that guy Good on my selling team. point. Yeah. Decent selling point. It's almost like chase. I knew yeah. what I was talking about. Um, but Jordan Lawler, I, I think will probably... I made the bold prediction he'll be up in July. July? It seems fast, I know. It does seem a little fast. But I think that it, if you're going to be in contention around the trade deadline, which is what, roughly like July 27th through 30th, somewhere in there, uh, if you're going to be in contention around there, the most impactful thing you can do without giving up any assets in a trade is bring up a prospect like Jordan Lawler. I think he's starting in Double A, and I wouldn't be shocked if he makes his way to Triple A pretty quickly. Yeah, that I could possibly see, but remember, he doesn't kind of like Corbin Carroll. Not a ton of games. He missed of a experience. year, exactly, with the shoulder injury, right? Uh, Didn't they both get shoulder injuries? I think you're right, but I I'd think have to, they did. Double check on that one. But um, Corbin got his hitting a home run. I remember that. Um, with Lawler, and he's also still super young. It's super. July, young. July could be it. Um, Corbin came up at the end of August last year. I would probably guess it'd be closer to that beginning of September, but who knows? Um, Perdomo is really interesting just because the switch hitting ability and it feels like there were stretches last season where the swing looked really good and he was hitting the ball really hard. It just wasn't consistent. And ultimately his numbers were ugly at the end of the season, but he's somebody who could potentially give them, you know, not like high upside starter, but like high upside depth piece and a guy who could definitely be a decent placeholder with Ahmed. So maybe not like a disastrous spot on the in the lineup but from the shortstop position. But you're right. Jordan Lawler is the future of the position. They know that. And it's probably you might be right that it's sooner rather than later. That's why I called it a bold prediction, Alex. I got you. I got you. <laughs> July well, then is I wouldn't bold argue it's not, prediction. Yeah, that's that's a little bold. A little bold. It's a I little think bold. Go, yeah. I think go bolder, though. Uh, so in terms of uh, Perdomo, listen, I'm a Perdomo fan. I've actually liked him for several years. I thought that they probably could have called him up earlier if he wasn't so darn young. Uh, he's 23 now. I mean, but he's in his third year of major league experience on some level. He got 431 at bats last season. Yeah, it's a pretty good sample size. The problem I mean, is that only played 17 games, so he was the full time shortstop. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And so the problem is, it just like you said, the uh, the numbers are pretty ugly. 195 batting average on base, still 285, which doesn't sound good, but it's actually pretty good when you're hitting 195. It's one of those guys who 
kind of came up and it's kind of the mold that they've been building in the minor leagues as far as plate discipline and working your way on base, even if you're not hitting. Yeah. See, that's something we've talked about a lot on the podcast over the years. So Mike Hazen's first ever first round pick. Do you know who that was? It was Paven Smith. It was Paven Smith. And that's exactly what he is. Now, he didn't make the opening day lineup, and I I don't think he needed to necessarily because I just don't know position-wise where you play that guy. But he'll probably be up at some point. Yeah. Um, but Paven Smith, not a power hitter, tradition, not a traditional first baseman. Um, while I think that's probably his best position, at the same time, he's not the guy. He's not, um, I don't have a good example, like an Adam LaRoche who's going to come out and hit 35 home runs or you know, anything like that. He's a guy who's going to come out, maybe hit you 10 to 15 home runs, but he's going to probably be a higher upside contact hitter. And that's what they were hoping to get out of Paven Smith. Now, I guess fortunately for the team, Christian Walker developed into their best offensive and defensive player right now. I mean, last season, I'm comfortable saying Christian Walker was their best player on the team. Dalton Varsho was really good too. But if you look at the numbers, his average was really low. His on-base was under 300, if I remember right, um, which is not ideal. But he's got upside speed and fielding. Anyway, we don't need to talk about that guy. He's not here anymore. (laughs) But Christian Walker, I know first base isn't exactly the spot where you want your best defensive player to be, but that's just kind of the way the cards unfolded. And speaking of the cards, uh, that's where your best player in franchise history ended up, was going to the St. Louis Cardinals. And so to follow up Paul Goldschmidt with Christian Walker... I feel like they found a diamond in the rough because last season, I was looking this up last week, um, in terms of war at the first base position, the Diamondbacks were third. Mm-hmm. Now, the Cardinals were first, absolutely first. They're the MVP. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt won the MVP. But uh, if you had told me that he would leave and they would sign a scrub from the Baltimore Orioles and he would become the third best <laughs> first baseman in the National League last year, I'd be pretty impressed. And so it's it's a good thing that Christian Walker is one of their best players. Yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, late bloomer, but has continuously gotten better pretty much every year he's been on the Diamondbacks, especially defensively, because he worked really hard to become a really great defensive first baseman. I remember talking to him last year about it and how he went back to uh, you know his college field over the off season, and his coaches would basically turn on the hit, like the pitching machine to like a hundred and just shoot hot shots at him and let him work on his reflexes. And I mean, we've already seen it this year. The defense has been spectacular in the first four games. He's already made a couple of really solid plays for them. So defensively, offensively, he's a guy who's continuously gotten better and better as it goes. I know he's in his 30s, but you're right. That's that's a spot in the lineup that is solidified. And it's a team that's going to be figuring out the rest of that sort of equation the rest of the way, pretty much. And to have that guy there in the middle to know where he is. You'd like to know that Cattell's going to be three, or Cattell's going to be two. Eventually, Carroll one, Cattell two, <laughs> and then Walker four is like, okay, that's what we got. Who's we three? Play matchups. In your mind. It depends on the matchup. Right now, Guriel has been the three-hole hitter. Again, you know, pretty, uh, was it all four games that he was the three-hole hitter? Um, I know against the lefties, he was the three-hole hitter. And then I think that makes sense, um, given his career outlook and... They just haven't had guys that have like proven that they can be that yet. Maybe McCarthy, if he continues from what he from the momentum he built up last season, could be that guy against right-handed pitching, and Guriel could be that guy against left-handed pitching. But that would probably be my best guess at this point. And then you just sort of fill it out the rest of the way matchup-wise. 
So I know uh, I mentioned earlier that we were going to see Ryan Nelson tomorrow. I lied. It's tonight. Uh, depends I, when you're listening to this. Yeah, I guess that does depend. I guess there will be no like maybe scenario he already pitched. tomorrow. That's true. <laughs> if you're listening to this next week, maybe he already pitched a couple of times. Um, so looking at the schedule, you get Padres for two games today and tomorrow, then a day off. I always found it weird that they start the season and then just give everybody days off like within the first week. Because a lot of teams, they had opening day, and then they had the next day off. Yeah. I don't get that. Was, really they don't. had to start the season on a Thursday. Yeah. And then, you know, they had, somebody had to play on Friday. So a bunch of teams had four-game series. And then I'm not entirely sure what the I don't get the, it. the science is behind that. but That's like, yeah. uh, I think when I started in college my freshman year at ASU, we, we started school on a Friday. I was like, why are you going to make me go to school? Really? Yeah. I always start school on, on Thursdays. Is it Thursdays? Two, okay. two days and then you Two days and then you're off. I'm it's like, like, a, like, a, like a taste or something. And they like give you a Monday in there. I think it's Labor Day or something comes up pretty quick. But anyway, uh, Padres back-to-back in a two-game series. Um, also weird that they do a four-game series followed by a two. But then opening day for the Diamondbacks, or at least the home opener, is Thursday. They get the Dodgers again in a four-game series. Of course. Um, reasonably... Over the next six games, what would you like to see record-wise from the Diamondbacks? Two Padres, four Dodgers. Um, I think if they're three and three, that's that's fine. That's what she, I mean. If if you're a 500 team or even a little below 500 team against those top two teams this season, and you beat the teams you you know you're expected to beat, you play well against 500, then you're in a pretty good spot. If you just outright dominate the top teams in your division, congratulations, you're one of the top teams in your division, and I don't <laughs> right. think we're totally there yet. They're getting, they're you know, they're climbing to it, but they're not there yet. So I think if they're five hundred or e- even two and four, it's not so much the record, but just how they look in these next six games. I'm curious what they look like, especially when they come back home and they have a day off to sort of evaluate what they look like in their first six games of the season, because what they showed against the Dodgers, the two and two record you mentioned, but it, it didn't look sustainable because they weren't getting on base enough, because they were putting themselves in holes pitching-wise. Again, I didn't think Gallon or Kelly looked bad. I thought that there was some promise there, but there were uh, they, they lost some hitters that put them into jams that they didn't need to be in. Right. And so if that gets cleaned up, if they can get more guys on base and just create more threats throughout the game as opposed to you know two innings on Sunday where they were threatened and basically none on Saturday where they threatened. So it, that's what I'm going to be looking for more so than the record. But I think three and three, even two and four, but they're competitive. And instead of like losing one nothing where they can't get anybody on base, it's like four to three where they threaten for four innings and just couldn't. That that will be a little bit more promising to me. But if if it's like a disastrous like one and five, I'm not sure what you could take out of it. It's the first week of the season. But at that point, we'll know more where the weaknesses are at this point. Could be a rough month in theory. Uh, the Padres have a pretty good rotation. We know the Dodgers' rotation is solid. You get the Brewers for three games. If you get unlucky and you get the top three guys in that rotation, mm-hmm. that's a pretty nasty rotation. I-, I would say even with the Marlins probably being the easiest series of the month, their starting rotation is pretty good too. So you don't really get a lot of easy breaks in this month. You get the Cardinals, the Padres for a four-game series the Royals somewhat mercifully towards the end of the month and the Rockies, but Royals, um, Rockies, and then uh, Rangers, Nationals, Marlins. That, that, that starts that's to a even break. out a little bit. That's a break. Late right. April. They're going to be tested super early here. Late April, early May, you definitely got to start turning it on. But for now, the Arizona Diamondbacks, two and two, we'll take it. Just didn't look all that pretty. All right, from my friend Alex Weiner, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to the Ain't No Fang podcast here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.